Welcome to Ear Biscuits. I'm Rhett. And I'm Link. Thank you for joining us once again this week at the round table of dim lighting covered in an increasingly large number of signatures. Uh, Hannah Hart is the latest signature. She is our guest this week, the amazing uh, Harto. She, uh, she got into some... Really good stuff. Great candid conversation. Talked about the extraordinary circumstances of her birth and then the extraordinary life that she had uh, growing up in a home with a dad who was a preacher and a Jehovah's Witness uh, situation. And then what it's like to, uh, having been open about her sexuality on her YouTube channel oh, and yeah, what we, that was like. There's, it's we just, got into, it's a good conversation. We got into everything that you want to get into with the Hannah Harto. But these these signatures that that are populating the round table of dim lighting, uh, and the, the, it made me think about how everyone has this decision that they make of how they're going to sign their name. And so, it made us think about another story that we've been wanting to tell you uh, about signatures on our poster. First of all, we're selling a poster now. I'm not, am I going to turn this into a store opportunity? Well, you, you always you always the, push the merch. Good Mythical Morning poster is, is now available on our DFTBA store site. All of these posters are signed. Previous to that, we were selling, and I think there's still we a few. Still, yeah, there are still some Mythical Show posters that are signed. Limited edition Mythical Show. There will be no more of those ever printed. We sign them, uh, Rhett and Link, right there with our uh, silver Sharpie, <laughs> and you can buy it. Uh, so anyway, we, we sold these, and um, after they went, they, they got shipped out. After the first batch was shipped out, we uh, we got a letter. Not a letter. We, we, we got a message. An email. An email. What I, I like to call them. When, yeah. they come, when the letters come over the E, I call them emails. And uh, Link, why don't you read this email? We okay. won't tell you who it's from. But I pulled up the email, and I'm going to read it verbatim from start to finish. Here we go. My son recently purchased a Mythical Show poster from DFTBA Records. He is 14 years old and used his hard-earned money to make the purchase. He was very excited to be getting a poster, quote, signed, in all capital letters, by both Rhett and Link, since he is a big fan of the Mythical Show on YouTube. Upon receipt of the poster, the first thing he noticed was that both names are written in exactly the same handwriting, and neither person used their last name. Uh Uh-oh. Both first names only written in silver paint marker, exactly the same size, and exactly the same location on the poster. And the ampersand, quote, ampersand symbol, sign, was used between the names Rhett, ampersand, Link. Right. Why would two people use the ampersand sign when signing both their names? It also looks as if Rhett and Link, quote, were written by a teenager. This is what he noticed, his 14-year-old son. I have a friend who does handwriting analysis for our local police department. He took a quick look at the poster and agreed that neither name was probably authentic and both were unquestionably written by the same hand. Unquestionably. He also agreed that any time a, quote, celebrity autographs anything, unless they are Prince, Madonna, or Cher, they would probably use their last name as well. Hmm. 
Then he quotes from Wikipedia, quote, Rhett and Link is the comedy, filmmaking, musical, and advertising duo of Rhett James McLaughlin and Charles Lincoln, Link Neal, end quote. Both are 30-something guys. Neither is Madonna, Prince, or Cher. That's true. Hopefully. I'm thinking a last name is in order here. <laughs> okay. Obviously, you can see where this is going. This is still his email. If your purpose is to rip off their target audience, teenage boys, then you are clearly successful, since most folks might not have picked up on the signatures and would be happy to have the poster. But if you were truly concerned about actually selling what you advertised, then I think reparations are in order. He will gladly return the pathetically signed (laughs) poster for an authentic one. Thank you for your consideration in this matter. And then he gives his mailing address. We will not give that or his name. Okay. Now, when I first read this email, I was a little upset because if you have, if you know us at all, if you've listened or watched anything that we've ever done and you know a little bit about the kind of people we are, you probably know that this is not the kind of thing that we would do. We would not hire a teenager. to sign our names uh, on a poster. But let me tell you, after signing 1,000 of these and then boxing them back up, it's not a bad taking idea. them to your house and letting you unbox them yeah, and sign true. your name and the ampersand, either around mine or before mine to anticipate where I'm going to write it with my own hand. Right. And then you boxing it up and we send it to DFTBA to ship them out. Maybe we should hire a teenager. It certainly seems Maybe like a Maybe we should outsource idea. this whole thing. We should outsource the whole thing. Well, okay, so... Okay, I, for whatever reason, probably because my last name is McLaughlin, very early on, we've always signed Rhett and Link because that's who we are. Well, you know us as Rhett and Link. You don't call us Rhett McLaughlin and Link Neal. So we always sign ourselves, uh, sign our names Rhett and Link, and we always use the ampersand. And like Link said, if I if I sign it first, I do the ampersand, and if Link signs it first, he does the ampersand. And, and our signatures don't look like they've both been written by the same teenager. Mine's in cursive and yours is in print, which is... So anyway, who is this handwriting exer- expert? Well, he should lose his job first of all. So anyway, it, it was one of those situations where you're—I don't like being accused of things that make me—they're making me out to be something that I'm not. And the thing that really struck me is how positive, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this dad was. In fact, he had a thought, he had a belief. He had a perspective, and then every single thing about the world that he was observing in relation to this poster, in his mind, confirmed his suspicion that we were swindlers, that we were hiring a teenager to deceive his son and to get $20 out of his son's pocket. And, uh, you know, it's not fun to be accused of something like that. So what I did is I wrote... um, what I'm going to confess was a pretty smart ass response. Can I can I read part of it? I have it okay. here. Okay. All right. Hello, first name of father who wrote the email. Tell your son thanks for ordering a poster. Period. Return. That was your first paragraph. Uh-huh. Second paragraph was much longer. We appreciate your desire to protect your son against being taken advantage of, but we were frankly taken aback at your level of certainty that we have been fraudulent. We're sorry if you feel that our process for signing things, first names only, with an ampersand is unacceptable, but that is the way we've always autographed things. I should just keep reading. Go ahead. 
since we've known since we're known publicly and professionally as quote rat ampersand link this is what we sign our wives can testify to the fact that we each sat alone in our respective dining room tables and signed hundreds of posters over the many hours with our quote half then sealed the posters up and exchanged them so the other could sign his quote other half we're also a bit concerned about the aptitude of the the aptitude of your friend who specializes in handwriting analysis and worried that he might be causing your local police department to wrongfully convict someone considering that our signatures are clearly different. Mine, Rhett's is in cursive, all links is in print. We couldn't duplicate one another's signatures if we tried. But most importantly, we think it would be wise to be slow. Uh, you got a typo in your email. You said, we think it would be wise to be slow to be, oh, I'm sorry, I just can't read it right. Let me try this one more time. Okay. But most importantly, we think it would be wise to be slow to be so accusatory in the future. Your absolute unquestioning perspective that we had attempted to scam our audience is more than a little insulting. I would hope that after watching our videos for any length of time, your son has learned that we are not the kind of guys who would ever consider doing something so insidious as selling fake signed posters. That being said, we would gladly ship you a poster signed with our full names, signed on the poster at a location of your choosing. Thanks again for your support of entertainment. Rhett Ampersand Link. <laughs> you signed the email. <laughs> so then we sent him another poster. Signed, Rhett James McLaughlin and Charles Lincoln Link Neal Third. So this guy and his son have one of the only, the only poster ever that was signed in full names. All right, let's get to Hannah Hart. We had a great conversation, like I said. Uh, so let's delay no more. So give a few stats. Yeah, you know her from youtube.com slash myharto, where she has just under 800,000 subscribers and is known best for her weekly show, My Drunk Kitchen. She's also the 2013 Streamy winner for Best Female Performance in a Comedy, and she is a nice woman, as you will find out in a second. She was also in our Christmas Sweats music video alongside Grace. Ladies and gentlemen, our convo with Hannah Hart. This week on Breathing Air, we discuss topics. I like that. That's my breathing radio air. voice. That's this, nice. Yeah, exactly. I have it on my open waters. Breathing air is what you want to call our podcast? I think breathing air is like a, it's a, it's a pretty good radio voice thing to say. Now, you, you know? did know, uh, you were on an email chain uh, from a couple of weeks ago when we were trying to get you on the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, several weeks ago before we had named the show Mm -hmm. and uh, our producer, Stevie, Mm -hmm. was just being funny in her email and she said, yeah, we're calling it Oprah Raw. Remember Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Loved Oprah Raw. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then when we finally changed it to Ear Biscuits via email, Mm -hmm. you expressed disappointment that it wasn't called Oprah Raw. I think that's natural, really. Is Oprah Raw taken or is that supposed to mean something? It sounds gross to me. I mean, <laughs> if I'm going to dine on Oprah, I'd, I'd prefer her to I be think, cooked. I, I think it meant unfiltered, real yeah, yeah. Oprah. Raw. Yeah, yeah, Oprah raw. It had nothing to do with cannibalism. No, no. Well, it's open to interpretation is what it seems to me. Here's what we'll do for you. Ten, today's episode, this mm-hmm. week's episode, is it is still an ear biscuit, mm-hmm. but it is there's a subtitle, and mm-hmm. it is, Oprah Raw. Oh. Oprah Raw edition. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Can I add edition? <laughs> oh, we was... can call it Breathing Air. I'm gonna go Breathing Air with Oprah Raw. <laughs> <laughs> but then people are gonna think that Oprah's gonna be here, and I'm just saying she's not. Well, I want to manage a, expectations. Oprah is a, she's a big fan. 
She's a big fan of uh, Ear Biscuits. Biscuits. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she's talked about it in O Magazine Mm -hmm. a number of times Mm -hmm. in the podcast Mm -hmm. section. I think she's just referring to putting a pair of nice warm biscuits on your ears. Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. that happens. It's delicious. Now, Hannah, we met in person the first time at a coffee shop. Second time we met, you remember that? Yeah, Yeah. what a funny way to meet, but we totally did. It was an arranged meeting. It It was. was. It was like a first. It was like a blind date, Uh really. Yeah, yeah, it, it went well. I thought so, yeah. What was that coffee shop? That was a that great, was a, yeah. It's a nice coffee shop. The coffee shop was Bricks and Scones. Yes, Co- coffee I remember. Raw. Right, coffee Bricks raw. and mm-hmm. Scones. Scone biscuits. And Wait. I, <laughs> and I remember after, you know, we had a great conversation. And I remember, you know, Link and I are on our way home mm-hmm. and discussing people that we have just met, as we often do, because we're pretty much always together. Mm-hmm. And we were both like, I like that Hannah Hart now. Oh, that Hannah Hart. Oh, she's a that she's is a, a nice person, nice woman. You guys, well, it's <laughs> nice <so> woman. <laughs> that's exactly those that's, are our words. That's really nice. <laughs> she's a nice woman. You know, it's so funny you say that because when I went away, when I drove away from our first meeting, yeah, um, first impressions, first impressions, give it yeah, to us straight. I was talking to myself by myself aloud, as <laughs> one is wont to do. Um, uh-huh, yep. And I and I said, you know, Hannah, I that Retin Link. That the, them guys were yeah mm-hmm. because I was talking to myself and I had no visual or verbal feedback to go off of. <laughs> you didn't say nice men. I was hoping you would be like those were nice men. What what she just said that she said was them's guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow, you know, and then it kind of fizzled out. Yeah, sometimes those car talks get real weird. <laughs> one's a brick and one's a scone. No, come on. You got to give you got to give us the real first first impression. impressions. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Well, and he can't I, be like, well, he's tall. <laughs> he's not as tall. And Link has really great hair. They both got <laughs> great hair. Um, I I uh, was like, they were lovely. Um, good. Definitely not from California. Yep. Because you guys had a a slower cadence. Yeah. You guys, uh, you guys like to take your time yep. with telling a story, and mm-hmm. it's it's delicious. It's a great way to speak. Oh, wow. It's just yeah. a function of brain power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we're a little slow. That's all it is. Still, and <laughs> you walk slowly too. Not fully charged. Yeah, but when we met, actually, um, the show, the th- the long form show, the mythical yeah, yeah, show, yeah, you guys yeah. were just thinking. You guys were just starting thinking about that. Yep. Yeah, that's over now. Mm. We've graffitied together. Yeah. But the second time that we met in person was the Christmas sweat shoot. I'm pretty sure that was yeah, our yeah. second meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was wonderful. And that was a phenomenal shoot. Um, I wear those Christmas sweats. Grace told us. We heard about this. <laughs> she told you. Yeah, she was she like, said, Hannah still wears them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm disappointed you don't have them on. I mean, it's not that cool yet, I, I guess. Sleep in those, uh, I sleep in those exact sweatpants. Really? Yeah. I mean, like, I will... I is, mean, it a, is it a green pair? I was going to say, I'll text you guys a picture later tonight, <laughs> and then I just stop myself. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I'll text you a picture of me in my sweats. <laughs> yeah. Are Actually, they green I, or red? I have a picture of me in my sweats. Do you have both green and red still? No, I just have the red small pants. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> we still have some more in a box. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we've got the green somewhere. Mm-hmm. That can be yeah. your parting gift. Oh, from here today, uh, an ear biscuits. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. It was a great shoot, though. Great video. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed we it. We should sequelize that Got thing. on Good Morning America. I know. How <laughs> funny is that, You right? know you've made it. They're like, who's that frumpy one? <laughs> They're <laughs> like, it's me. Well, I think because the picture that they we decided to use as the thumbnail, you were wearing the extra large mm-hmm. sweats, which were my sweats that actually fit me. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you still wear those sweats? Uh, no, we keep them packaged. You know, I'd like to separate the costuming from the actual wardrobe. Oh, do you feel like your real life and your creative life bleed together far too often? 
It's really just a tax issue. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. My CPA told me that you know you can't wear those costumes. You got to keep those you, sweats in a box. You can't you can't write them off if you if you wear them. My CPA told me to do whatever I want and yeah. call everything an expense. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably more fun. Mm-hmm, it is. You we put you wear that shirt in a video. Expense it. <laughs> Done. You can't do that. I know technically. But you, you know that news anchors can't even expense their suits. They have to buy their own they suits? They have to buy their own suits. Yeah, seriously. No way. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Did That's you find the that only on? reason I'm not a news anchor. <sighs> Wait, um, how'd you find out that? My brother told me this, and I, how he knows, I don't know. Mm. I think he, he, he has a business degree. He does have a business degree mm. from a reputable institution. That's like business 101. Mm-hmm. It's like the extra credit question on the first quiz of Business 101. Mm-hmm. Can a news anchor expense his suit? Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Nope. It sounds like um, business really suits him. Ooh. Ooh. Oprah Raw. Wow. <laughs> All right. So take us back. Take us back to your birth. <clears throat> Give was, us the whole story. Where was it? When was it? I was born November 2nd, 1986. Um and it was in the Bay Area of California on the west coast of America on the planet Earth, which is the third planet in our solar system mm-hmm. within the Milky Way. There's a show about that. Yeah. Well, there was one. Oh, yeah, Third Rock from the Sun. There's also a song, a Joe Diffie song. <laughs> oh, goodness. I hope you don't know that song. <laughs> I don't. It's a country, country western tune from Welcome the- Welcome to Earth, Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm, Oprah, mm-mm. He also yeah. sang a song called Prop Me Up Beside the Jukebox When I Die. Yeah. So he wants to be like taxidermied? Yes. He does. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's an admiral thing. That's, that's admiral? Admirable. Admirable. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's also he in the military. Be, yeah, he wants to be dressed as a ship captain. <laughs> prop, yeah. Yeah. And propped up next this to the This is a sergeant box. thing to want to do with mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Bay Area. Bay Area. Yeah. This is like San Francisco-ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's typically, okay. yeah, it's in, the, <clears throat> it's in the Bay Area. Yeah, it was great. Grew up in California. Um, I went to school at Berkeley. I uh, studied Japanese literature and English mo- literature. Oh, you got to move slower than that. We want to talk about like kindergarten. Oh, you were, oh really? You know, oh, yeah. This is what, an ear biscuit is all about, you I know. Yeah, you're like, how did, all of a sudden, <laughs> we're like spinning, <laughs> you're in college. <laughs> we're I'm back so, here in the delivery I'm room. I'm so sorry. I should have explained. I came out of the womb and went to college. Berkeley. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. You it's were a prodigy. not for everyone, but it was for baby Hannah. No, I... Um, I, let me think. Okay, back to birth. Oh, I was born with a double nuchal cord. You guys know what that is? You, have, what, you guys what? have kids. Double nuchal cord. It's where the umbilical cord is wrapped twice around your neck. Oh, oh. I thought it was like an like extra vocal cord. So it's like every time you get pushed out, you're like, oh, God. So you could have died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so the doctor, ear biscuits, the doctor had to go in and cut the cord within my mother's body. Oh. And then I came out. So he took a Risky. pair of scissors inside of your mom. And cut the cord so I could get get born. Because I like, you know, feet first, cord, neck. <clears throat> came out blue. I mean, really? I, yeah, but I'm a fighter. Slash, I don't know what baby Hannah was like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. the, so extraordinary circumstances mm-hmm. uh, uh, in your birth. So is that the type of thing that... Uh, growing up, whenever something would happen, be it good or bad, mm-hmm. that y- I your mom it to and, that. or your mom or dad would hearken back to, you know, you're you're a, a miracle baby. Yep, miracle baby. Mm-hmm, that's they, it. They would say that. Not so much. However, I would say that in my head to myself. I'm a miracle baby. I would just say I'm a miracle. Just wake up in the morning. I was born choking. Mm-hmm. I was born choking around. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> but they did. But your parents didn't say that because they. I mean, they could say that. They could. They could have. But I don't know. I don't think it really occurred to them. 
Okay, but, and that's fair. Yeah. And, and okay, and what uh, what kind of house were you born into? Parents together, siblings. Well, uh, I was born uh, into a. Uh, my parents were divorced before I was born. I had uh, one older sister. Have you know she's alive? Um, and yeah, she. Our mom raised us uh, for a long while, and then she got remarried and had. Another baby, that's my baby sister, who I love uh, very, very much. And, uh, yeah, it was a good time. So you grew up with just your mom and then a stepdad at some point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When did the stepdad come in? I guess I was like seven, thereabouts. And this is all all in the Bay Area. Yeah, I never moved around. Born and raised. Born and raised in the Bay Area. Never moved around. Just kind of like hung out a lot. What did your mom do? Well, she worked nights uh, at a uh, audiovisual recording thing where she would transcribe um, news stories. So she would go in from like 10 p.m. to like 5 a.m. and do transcription services. So she would listen to She would just watch news mm-hmm, and or, then just write out everything they said. And then she would come home and be like, you'll never believe what happened. I hate the news to this day. Why don't people tell good news? Like, it's not relevant to just hear there was like a stabbing in the park. Like, what can we benefit from by knowing that? Well, if you hang on long enough, they do like something that's lighthearted towards the end. Well, but you could also know not to go to that park. That's true. You know, if you don't want to get stabbed, don't go to that park. Don't go to that park. Pick yeah. another park. But I just wish there was a website that was like goodnews.com. Like, or like every news story was like. We have that reserved. You do. <laughs> <laughs> no, net. We have Goodnews. net reserved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No oh, one... not .org? No. We it don't. might be .gov, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it's not .gov since the shutdown. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, all, it's... yeah. Can't, go, can't even go online, really. <laughs> Okay, so she would watch the. So when you're watching the news and you see the closed captions happening, they're happening live, mm-hmm. and someone like your oh, is mom what, is making that no, happen. No, no, no. It's more like uh, it was just a transcription service, you know. So it's like news, you know, organizations. I, I imagine. Remember, my understanding of this is a four year old's understanding. Like I have no idea, um, but I believe what the service was was uh, to give the studios transcriptions of the the shows or the news for ca- closed captioning purposes. I mean, there's all types of reasons. Even yeah. w- when we did our show on IFC, yeah. they, they had mm. people who would, I, I can't remember what their positions yeah. were, but they would type out everything that was said. Yeah. And then they could do a paper cut, mm-hmm. meaning they could yes. look at what was written down mm-hmm. and they could say, edit it this way based, oh, we need him to... We need him to say this to manipulate the reality of the situation. That would happen a few times even oh. on our show. And Or we need to tell this story. We need someone to say this so they could search for it mm-hmm. and find it instead of just scrubbing through a whole bunch of mm. footage. So I would imagine there's, you know, you could be, it could save the world. You never know. There's there's intelligence in that kind of a stuff. I love I love that perspective. Now, like, is, your, is your mom still, does she still type? No, no. She's uh, unemployed. Well, because we could use a, somebody to do this for ear biscuits. Oh, is yeah. what I was getting at. I mean, there's a lot of talking going on, and somebody needs to be writing it down, don't you think? Link. I mean, I'm it looking- never occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being confused about my dad's job. Mm-hmm. We lived out here in California when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and at the time, Pat Sajak was a weatherman. Oh, before Wheel of Fortune, early Had to 80s, buy his own suits. Yeah, yeah, he did. He expensed <laughs> no, no suits. Interestingly enough, weatherman. Free suits. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's a loophole. Mm-hmm. It's a old say it. Meteorolo- nope. <laughs> meteorological loophole. Uh, he, Can't BS about something that important here. Hannah. I got to call you out on okay, that. Okay, there you go. I, I remember <laughs> distinctly watching Pat Sajak deliver the weather one uh-huh. day and being 100% convinced that it was my father. 
Well, what he looks Rhett, nothing like maybe. your dad. Mm, did you time, feel? Did you feel it in your heart? I was like four years old. and I remember thinking, "Mom," actually saying, "Mom, Dad's on television. Dad's doing the weather," and I was totally convinced that it was him. But it was Pat Sajak. But and, maybe Pat Sajak was your mom. Like, he's not the father you have. <laughs> She got this really guilty look. Yeah. Well, that might explain a lot. Yeah, right? Pat Sajak. Pat Sajak is my dad. Man, okay. I want to look at a picture of Pat Sajak so bad right now. <laughs> He's we a very short him. man, mm-hmm. which makes this highly unlikely. Right, mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in uh, your sister is how much younger than you? Uh, I have two sisters. I have an older one who's uh, three years older than me and a younger one who is 11 years younger than me. Okay, so, so when you were a kid, it was you and your older sister mm-hmm. and your mom. Mm-hmm. Three women against the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, wait, tell us about that. Um, well, uh, I really liked books a lot. I think that, like, you know, when you have a single mom, you don't really, like, got a lot to do. So, fortunately, though, she had, the house was, like, filled with books. So, I would read a lot of books. Um, would you transcribe them? Would I transcribe? Yeah, I'd be like, oh, I gotta do it. No, I just read them. Uh, like, she had like a lot of Encyclopedia Britannicas. Do you remember when they would oh, really? sell like the full oh, sure, sets yeah. of Encyclopedia? Well, we had those, definitely. You yeah. could buy the shelf with them. Yeah. Seriously. Really? Yeah. To hold when you them? buy that many books, you gotta buy the shelf too. They would throw that in for like to sweeten the deal. No way. Well, if you knew how to negotiate. Oh. So you would read all of these, you would read the Encyclopedia. But your mom, your mom worked nice. So was she like sleeping during the day? Was it like. No, she was out usually. She spent a lot of time out. But I would, uh, I also. And you were reading. Yeah, I like to read. I like to read a lot. And I also like to, yep, bookworm. And I also like to take a lot of walks. I like to like walk around the neighborhood. Um, Like just like make up adventures. We're talking grade school, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, just like that sort of thing. One time, me and my friends climbed to the roof of the elementary school and we threw rocks at cars. You're kidding me. That were driving by, and only as an adult do I realize how truly dangerous and stupid that was. But at the time, I was like, this is fun. But no, no, that was bad. One time— Well, hold on. We're going to have to stop you there because we did exactly the same thing. In fact, we've told this story on Good Mythical Morning, but— No. The last time I was spanked, spanked. Mm -hmm. I think you were 13. I was 14. 14. Now listen, I wasn't spanked. I was spanked a lot as like a young kid, and uh-huh. then it became very intermittent. <laughs> but then, fourteen. I was fourteen, and I had. I had You're a tall guy. How uh, tall well, were you at fourteen? When I was fourteen, I was six foot four. How and did my they dad was five nine? Remember, he looks like Pat Sajak. <laughs> <laughs> it's convenient because all he had to do was tell you to bend over the back of the couch, and he spanked <laughs> and, you. And uh, Lincoln, I got caught th- uh, throwing rocks at cars on top of the business school. Long story, we got caught by Leonard Johnson at the business school. That jerk. Who told uh, your brother about the suits later yes, in life? Exactly. <laughs> he told the security, uh, Campbell security, about that. Who told my dad? And then my dad called me in there, and he's like, uh, "So, what'd you do today?" He didn't even have you cut a switch or anything? Nope. Belt. And uh, he was like, no, this, you know, we don't do this anymore, but I, I, I have no choice. And uh, I have one no right, choice. There, right there on the keister. You know mm. what? I never threw rocks at cars again. Mm. I think for the record, he probably did have a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the belt. It, yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. I just, who is uh, that? You can take that. That's so fine. Yeah. Might be Pat Jack. I mean, just feeling to be like, my son! <laughs> okay, so you, you, I mean, it's a common thing, apparently. Lots of kids do it, throw rocks at cars. Everybody has so. to have that experience. Yeah. But did you get punished? <clears throat> no. 
You can huh. get spanked. No, not really. I felt guilty. I felt terrible. We one of the rocks went through a window at the school. <laughs> when school started again, and remember, this is this was second grade, first first or second second grade, maybe. Oh, you weren't fourteen. Um, no, no, but uh, that's something I'll never forget. <laughs> the thing you just told me. Um, no, but did, I did you get spanked? Did you get in trouble? Uh, yeah. I mean, but not for stuff like that. Just other things. Oh, you got spanked as a child too. Yeah, but it, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, but so I remember though, I felt so bad about throwing the rock through the window or the rock hitting the window that when school started, everybody's like, "Oh my god, rock window!" La la. I remember going to my teacher and just being like, "It was me," and she was like, "No, it wasn't." And I was like, "It was me. I did it. I did it over the weekend. I lived down the block." Oh gosh. She was like, "Hannah, please, like, it wasn't you. She I appreciate couldn't. you trying to cover for your friend. Wow. But I know it wasn't you. I just know you." And I was like, Ooh. this is the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> I mean, like, how do you go? Like, anyway, so. You confessed and. It was rejected. That can't be you. It's not you. And then you're like, wait, who am I? <laughs> so um, you had a reputation as being a good kid. Yeah. And you were a kid that would, you, you felt guilty and you would confess something like that. Oh, I was a good, I had a good, good heart. Good so that, kid. Ca- that characterized your, your youth. Yeah, probably. It wasn't one of rebellion and testing the limits. Definitely not a rebellious child. I was definitely a, uh, you know, I mean, like, I would, like, help out the janitor after school and stuff. Like, I just wanted to, like, do stuff. I just like people. I like. I really like, I just really like being with people. You know? I think people are interesting. Hmm. Did you, you, know? did you help the janitor put the sawdust on the vomit? From B- kids B- puking? They did that all the time in our school. Yeah, sawdust. That's that's stuff. Every other day, there would be a pile of sawdust out there. Yeah, which it, is it, interesting. It soaks it up. You were fourteen when last time you puked <laughs> and sawdust got used. <laughs> Mister Leon, Mister Leon was our janitor, and he would sawdust all kinds of stuff, but especially vomit. Poor why did he, mis- why didn't he just clean it up? Poor Mister Leon only had one hand. <gasps> And we never helped him out. You make me feel bad. I never helped him clean up vomit. The guy had one hand. He had two hands when we started school. Remember, he, you remember what happened, don't you? Are you, you? serious? No. Yes. You don't know the story about Mr. Leon? Mr. Leon Cleaning was, up vomit? No. Mr. Leon <laughs> was- putting woods in the wood chipper. He was changing the bulbs, the footlights on the- Oh, on, no. the, uh, on the school stage on, in the auditorium. He was changing the footlights and one broke or one was hot or something. And he got burned. It was a very mild thing. He did not get it checked out. It got infected and they cut his hand off. This was like fifth grade, man, because we had a two-handed janitor and then he became a one-handed janitor. And he never slowed down. By the way, that seems like a little rash. Well, you mean it was an overreaction? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a bad infection. It was like, he didn't get it. Kids... If you get an infection, mm-hmm. get it taken care of. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the moral of that story. And yeah. If you vomit, throw sawdust on it. Also, if you can find any. It turns out when people tell you to air, tell you to air out a wound, don't. This Keep is it true. covered. Mm-hmm. It'll heal faster. Yep. That's right. We, we've established this. Learned I, that recently. Yeah, I told him. I told him not to wear the band aid, and it turns out he's right. Look at it now. We're good to go. Yeah, but aren't scars kind of cool? Like when stuff scars, you're like, that's cool. I Do, like that's cool. I don't see any scars on you. I got, I have one right here on my hand. I got one on my knee. I got okay. one in this ear. In the ear? Mm-hmm. I just ran into a table when I was really little. Just like the corner of a table. I was just so excited. I was also very excited as a kid. Uh-huh. I'm still a very excited adult. Um, and I just hit the corner. It was the first time I ever got stitches, and I totally fainted. 100%. Well, just the thought of it makes me want to faint. Isn't that awful? <laughs> oh, yeah. An ear wound? An ear wound. On ear biscuits. Ear wounds? Yeah. Ear no, biscuits. Blood on a biscuit. I'm not interested in that. Oh, 
So, so give us some more formidable, f- formidable. I don't know what the right Adver- word is. Admirable. Admirable. Formative. That's word. Yeah. Formative points in your in your life. We're talking like the grade school, middle mm-hmm. school, high school years. You know, we're still mm-hmm. pre Berkeley here. Oh yeah. Um, well, my dad is a preacher, um, and we saw him. Your real dad or mm-hmm. your stepdad? My real dad. That you, okay. So your mom and your dad they divorced before you were born, mm-hmm. and he's a preacher. What type of preacher are we talking? Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't celebrate birthdays. Mm-mm. Why not? I don't... I don't. The idea... So, I made a comment on A Good Mythical Morning, and then I got reprimanded by people who said I should know, and so I, school me. Well, um, from what I recall, as the idea is that uh, it's kind of like... I, I always was very confused by this because I was like, if we're God's creatures or as God's creatures, isn't the, the celebration of a birth one of the most sacred things? Mm-hmm. But John the Baptist got his head cut off as a birthday present. So the witnesses have taken that to be like celebration of birthdays is bad. I, I, I follow the logic there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, everybody's got their thing. Just be good. Just be nice people. Practice whatever religion you want. So, (laughs) what was your relationship like with your dad? Did you have visitation growing up? Mm -hmm. What was the arrangement? Um, Yeah, we had visitation. Uh, Saw him, I guess, like four days. Uh, We saw him like four days a month and two weeks in summer. And he, I don't know, it was always like, it was so the opposite of the regular life because it was like, you know, get you know, get in dresses, get really clean, like go to you know, like six church things a weekend. Now we're going door to door, and then after we're done going door to door, we're gonna go to the church barbecue, and then after we're done doing that, we're gonna go. But it's actually not called the church; it's called the Kingdom Hall. And, and there's not, no windows. And, there's a few windows. Yeah, there's, very small. Yeah, very small. Exactly. It's called the Kingdom Hall, not a church, <clears throat> and they're called meetings, not services. Okay. So and, this is, I mean, this being in a Jehovah's Witness family, this is a. This is quite a commitment. There's, there's a. This is a big part of your life. So I would assume that at that it, time, your your mom was also a part of this, or was she just kind of saying, okay, well, your dad's doing this, and we're kind of just going to kind of ride along. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I was never a Jehovah's Witness. I mean, it was just like my dad. And so when he, so when he left, was your mom like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. Let's not go to the Kingdom Hall anymore. Yeah, she is just you know very theological. She believes in like you know, history and like all religion and spirituality and Christianity. And she, she's got a lot of different beliefs, very wide variety. But um, yeah, you know, I got no problem with Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, every religion teaches own. My only logic is like, just be like nice to each other, you know, just like, I think that that's what really matters. And that's what Jesus would want. Mm-hmm. What was your observation? I mean, did you go to a church with your mom? What was your observation visiting your dad and, I guess having the label of Jehovah's Witness and being an outsider to that, you not being a Jehovah's Witness, what was your observation there and then growing up with your mom, how you were raised there? Um, It just seemed so different. You know, it just seemed so... And obviously, you know, this has nothing to do with the religion at large, but like it just felt very superficial. You know what I mean? Like my dad and his stepmom were them, and it was very like Stepford feeling when we would go and visit them. Mm-hmm. And like it was just a very interesting juxtaposition. Like they had everything, and like I, they had like food, and everything was like clean and yada, yada, yada. But it didn't feel like home, whereas like home felt like, you know, sure it wasn't perfect, but it was real, I guess, in a weird right. way. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, I grew up 
as a young kid, I didn't grow up with my dad, so I had visitation with my dad, I remember, every, every other weekend for a while. Mm-hmm. And I mean, religion wasn't that different between my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. They both were church-going Christian people. But mm-hmm. I mean, that I can certainly relate to that part about even not feeling like, oh, this is going to see my dad. It wasn't home. It was yeah. a different thing. When you're that young, it's just something you just kind of plug into and and it would just be like, I just remember feeling so bummed out if like a friend was having a birthday party one weekend or like there was an opportunity to like see a movie or like go on a school trip and like that opportunity became available, but it was a dad weekend. Hmm. I was like, no. Right. You know, which is like, you know, not no fault of his, but I was always, I mean, I just never wanted to go. <laughs> and there was a lot of, sounds like there was a lot of uh, uh, religious obligations Every time you were there, we got to, we got to dress this way. We got to go here. We got to do this. This is my, we're waking up at like job. 5 6 AM. We're going to go to this thing. I'm like, ugh, brutal. Just like there's a thing, they have a thing called the district convention, which is like 12 hours of service. And it happens like one or two weekends a year. And I remember if we had a dad visit on the district convention, I was like, I would lay awake for like weeks knowing that it was coming. <laughs> it was, it's brutal. Imagine being a kid. And I, I now know why this was so like, just so hard. Like having to go for me as a kid and sit still and just be preached at. Mm-hmm. For 12 hours, not be able, I couldn't doodle. I couldn't even write my own like stories. I had to sit and literally just sit and listen and follow along in the book. It was the most pain, like just, I, it was hell. It was so hard. You just couldn't sit there and like snicker at each other like Link and I did in the balcony at our, our little church. No snickering and no falling asleep. So you know that feeling where you're so understimulated that you're just like, you are like literally just pulling your eyes up to stay awake. Mm-hmm. No snickering, no falling asleep, no doing something else, like no coloring, no drawing, no anything. Just listen. And it was, oh. And that was until what age? 17. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So you and your sister, yeah. who's a little bit older, did that did that draw the two of you closer, kind of? Oh, yeah, no. My, my big sister and I, you know, we're, we're good. We're solid. Yeah, it was just like, just, ugh. I just would never do that to any any child. Like, I barely believe in education the way we do it. I'm like, kids are going to get curious about things at different times in their life. Like, maybe this kid wants to learn math right now. Great, let them learn math. Later, they'll want to learn this, you know? Like, I think that we should really just, like, have structure but not control. It's like, okay, we're going to learn from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., but what you learn, what you're curious about is entirely up to you, you know? But you are going to be, like, progressing in some way. You know? Right. That, I, so did you have a reaction that even at that age, you were like, I'm going to chuck this whole religious thing? In- no, I mean, like the word, you know, I think fortunately, like my mom's opinion and openness, I guess, really saved my view of spirituality and view of people's relationships with God. You know, I think that if I only had the Jehovah's Witness perspective, I would 100% be like, Forget that. Mm-hmm. But because I also had my mom who's like, well, Judaism believes this, Buddhism believes this, you know, um, let's watch history of the Bible. Like, oh, I got this great documentary from the library. Like, let's watch this. Like, just a very, like, rich, multicultural experience with spirituality and God and what people believe. So that made me feel connected to that. Was that something that was developing, like, you know, as you were a teenager, you're in high school and you're in this environment, was it just like, I just don't know about this this stuff that we're doing that seems like rote, seems like obligation? Were, were you kind of beginning to think that this uh, there's got to be something 
other than this, or was it after he left and your was your mom having these influences and these ideas all along? All along. I mean, I never. He never. I have no recollection of them being in the same room. You oh. know. Okay. So like they were, yeah. Like I really don't have any memory of them being together. But I like prayed every night as a kid, and I still like I still take a moment before I eat, you know, and before I go to sleep to just be grateful because I think that that's really important, you know. Mm-hmm. Like those are still patterns that like I maintain. So what was high school like for you? Um, high school was uh good. I got my first job, which I liked. Um, which I worked. Was? I worked at an ice cream shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you then were a scooper and a sample giver? Mm-hmm. Scooper, sample giver. I called everybody sweetie. Um, Soft serve? No. Dip. Just, yeah. We're talking dips. Baskin Robbins or what? Mm-mm. It was Preston's in Burlingame, California, which is a locally like owned, you know, small business, family-owned business, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it had been there forever, and it was great. And I also worked at a video store, and that was great. And Those are two classic jobs that classic you have. Classic teenage I never, jobs, I never right? had a classic job. But, never. What know? was your first teenage job? Uh, it was cleaning out underneath houses. Oof. I cleaned out underneath houses a little bit too. <laughs> when, when when the construction uh, people get through b- building the house, mm-hmm. when, when they get through, they have used the foundation of the house mm. as a trash can. Oh, and really? They send a kid underneath there to clean it all out and to put plastic under there. And as I've already established, I'm a pretty big guy. I was already, <laughs> already pretty big, and I'm going to houses, worrying about snakes and like cups with redneck tobacco j- juice in them. Oof. Yeah, that was my first job. Oof. I think that was my first. That was the one of my high school jobs. Yeah, that's gross. But no, I wasn't working with ice cream. That's no. for sure. Yeah, unless I'm it was both. expired and it was in a little container underneath yeah. the house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mowed grass. Yeah, I loved it. I would I would go back to that right now in an, in an instant. I'm not surprised by that. Actually, I see you as somebody that would really enjoy just like the routine order and the structure. I love the order. Yeah. Yeah, just the going through it, going through it level a pair of nose hair trimmers, making sure it's all. Well, good. I had a I had a riding lawnmower, Hannah. Well, I mean, you know, but. I remember that you. Would, <laughs> I have a memory of you riding a riding lawnmower like down the road in Lillington, like mm-hmm. from one house to another. Is that th- is that true? Did that happen? Uh, yeah, I did. I would drive the lawnmower across Lillington, across major streets to go to houses that I had to mow, because that was easier than putting it on a trailer and then driving. I don't. This think, is before, I, didn't, I didn't have my license. Did this you, is before you, lawnmower racing. Did you pick up a lot of chicks on your lawnmower? <laughs> the ladies around Lillington loved the guy with the lawnmower. Well, I mean, they, it was easy to keep up with. The girls could just Jog walk beside walk me. right next to you the whole time. <laughs> That's a man with ambition. They could tell. Okay, so keep it level. Uh, yep. Ice cream and, and video store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ice cream and video store. Um, I I raised my little sister a bunch. Uh, I was a yearbook. I did the yearbook and newspaper like publication oh, stuff. Oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was going to be a journalist or a teacher with the majority of my life, but then I pursued translation. So you were very plugged in, very involved. Not with the school. I mean, like I was, I was plugged in and involved into like you know, it was easy. Everybody knew me, and so it was easy to get in and get out of what I wanted. So it's like during journalism or doing your book, it was easy like, I could just walk into the room and be like, hi, I need this picture. Thanks, guys. Bye. I mean, like, it was easy to take care of and then I'd leave school and then I would go work. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you thought you wanted to be a journalist at the time. I did, or a teacher. And when you decided to go to Berkeley, mm-hmm. was that to pursue that career? Um, 
Well, I went into Cal. It's actually really funny. I first didn't plan on going to college and then was encouraged by my guidance counselor to go to college. So I applied to a bunch of schools, and Berkeley was like my reach school. They were like, well, you should apply to Berkeley, you know, blah, 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 blah. I got rejected from every single school I applied to except for Berkeley, who sent a letter in California Public School or California Public University, they don't do this, asking for two letters of recommendation, and it was a 13-essay question questionnaire. Um, It was part of the Equal Opportunities Program, uh, and I did it, and then I got into Berkeley, and I got— So what was your equal opportunity? Well— You're a white girl. Yeah, but I grew up in poverty, and my mom is schizophrenic. (laughs) Okay. So So you left that part out. Yeah. Your mom is schizophrenic? (laughs) Yeah. So we actually—I got emancipated when I was like 15, and my little sister went to foster care. Um, Wow. Yeah. So there was a good chunk of stuff that helped. You know, I had terrible grades, but great test results. Terrible grades. Like, I mean, I wasn't going to do homework. My goodness. So when you said a few minutes ago that you raised your little sister, you literally meant that because your mom was diagnosed. And I mean, can you tell us more about that? How did that happen? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like I want people like uh, I think at some point in my life uh, I'd like to speak, you know, at length about mental health stigma Um, with an illness like schizophrenia. It's a psychosis, so it's not like a sociopathic illness, which is like kind of like, you know, people do bad things. But like a psychotic illness, you know, as we describe people like, oh, that guy's psychotic. He's not actually psychotic. Like, that's a bad guy. Psychotic means like voices, images, hallucinations, like multiple reality. Like, that's psychotic, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So, yeah. What was your question? (laughs) You were raising—because your mom was— struggling with this illness, Mm -hmm. you had to kind of step in and raise your sister who was 11 years younger. What led up to that point? I mean, what what does that mean exactly? Did she have to go get treatment somewhere? How did that, how does that work? You know, things would have been, I think things would have been really different if she had gotten treatment, but no, she, uh, just schizophrenic, just, you know, there's a lot of people who are unmedicated, mentally ill. So she she was in the house, she was working, she was there, but mm -hmm. she wasn't able to function as mom. She wasn't really able to, she wasn't able to do a lot of things. She wasn't able to do a lot of jobs. And mm-hmm. she had like, you know, she had, she got a guy that came and like helped out with like bills and stuff, but she just got worse as she got older, you know? So it went from like, you're quirky and weird and everything seems weird, but I guess that's cool. Like we're just different. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and when Maggie was born, as my little sister, uh, it was like, wow, we're not different. Like something's wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember being 11 and my mom telling my sister and I that she got pregnant. And I remember being like, you need to have an abortion because we can't have a child in this house. Like, what are you going to do with a baby? Like, how are we, like, like, how are we going to have a baby? Then she had the baby, and that was, like, the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. Ma- yeah, Maggie would, like, totally save my life. I 100% could have become, like, that kid that, like, does drugs and runs away from home and, like, all that stuff. But Maggie was a smiling, loving baby. I mean, you guys have kids, you know? Like, all you have to do for a baby is love it. And it's, like— loves you back Mm -hmm. and then they get older and then you you know more responsibilities but like it was a good pure thing you know so how did your mom's illness kind of manifest itself that i mean you you would see it manifest itself at a point where that's what you said when you found out she was pregnant Mm -hmm. and that brought you to a point where it your life without maggie could Mm -hmm. have gone off the deep end is Mm -hmm. what you're saying yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I think that the point where everything changed was probably when I was like 15 or 16, and my sister, my older sister, had been like 
piece. I'm going to college. And then, you know, like I said, it's a it's an illness that gets worse worse with age. Um I just What was happening? I don't you know, just crazy stuff. So anyway, I just didn't want Maggie I just couldn't picture Maggie being there alone. And then like the closer I got to eighteen, it was like, well, either I'm just gonna like take her or you know, next time the cops come, I'm not gonna lie. And I'll hmm. be like, actually, things are terrible, you know? Um, so, yeah. So, so there was a point in which you kind of, you saw the situation, you saw what was happening, and you were like, I've got to sort of take control here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to emancipate myself. I'm going to get my sister, sister into foster care. A chance. Foster care, by the way, is a really fascinating system. And, like, there's a lot of, like, deeply flawed parts of it. Um, Maggie was in the state foster care system for only like three weeks before I had a good reputation, you know, in my hometown, um, before a family volunteered to adopt her or take her in. And then later in life, they adopted her and she's been living there for the last, I don't know. How old am I? 26. Yeah. How, how old years. was she at the time? Four. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of things that I want to do to help out with this stuff. Like eventually it's like. There's so many things that you could change to make things better, and it just turns out money's the only thing you need. Mm. So it's like I'd love to like either advocate for or start a foundation that kind of provides services to those who do foster care. And I'm not talking about monetary services because I don't think that incur- that doesn't help. That doesn't work because then people are like, "Give me kids, so I get checks." But like services, like you know, maybe they go and have their own counseling, you know, or they go and have their own job security training. You know, I mean, give these people skills and give them, like, their shot at life so that when they're fostering kids, it's almost like a shot for self-improvement. Right. So so your experience as uh, going through that has sort of given you, given you a mission of sorts. Yeah, I hope so. And is it, I mean, is this something that now that you are the Hannah Hart that we all know and, you know, the YouTube celebrity Hannah Hart. Who loves to... Have makeup on her face. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Check out youtube.com slash Harto. Uh, Halloween double twin tumbler tag. It's amazing. I don't even You're know. figuring out what to title it Yeah, now. I have no idea what to title it. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you said different things, by we the did. way. You, you did not I'm going to have like correctly. four title cards. Sorry. Everything's going to be a freeze frame of a title card. Freeze frame title card. Um, you see this as, because I, I, obviously part of your brand is sort of, you know, with your recent tour, a part of your brand is sort of giving back to people and bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And and that's very evident. Like I know that you've done a lot of your gatherings at like soup kitchens and volunteering for people. When did that become a part of your like identity and your, in your brand? Well, it didn't become a part of my identity until I got security, I guess, you know, like it was like the channel was doing well and I was successful and like I could support like my loved ones and then I just felt like entertainment felt so hollow. Hmm. So then it was like, wow, like, actually, I'm on the side of privilege now. Like, I can give back. And I guess that that's kind of what I try and say when we were doing the meetups and stuff like that. And arguably, by the way, like, I'm not at all perfect. Like, I don't go to a soup kitchen every week. Like, I'm not, you know, I try and, like, donate money. But, like, you know, I'm not, like, time. I'm not 100% on the time, all the time, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to make myself out to be that way because, you know, I'm human and blah, blah, blah. But I do think that some one way of looking at donating, charity, volunteer work is to think that it's not a guilt, it's not an obligation, but it's more like a privilege, like you're lucky. You're lucky enough to do you're that. You're able to give back. 
Yeah, not like you're able, so you should. Like people push back against that so hard, mm. but more like, hey, if you're sitting at home depressed or if you're feeling like your life is empty or blah, 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 like go outside for two hours, meet a bunch of strangers and like sort cans or something. Mm-hmm. It, it'll make you feel good. So if you need a selfish way to justify something, like a not guilt way, like a selfish way, like go do it because it's going to make you feel good. Well, when we found out that you were doing your meetups at you know, soup kitchens and shelters and that kind of thing. We thought back to the fact that we had crossed the country and did a bunch of meetups at rest stops. <laughs> Which I, is, it I felt think, pretty lame. No. I, I, I felt like we broke up a lot of shady activity. Yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, all right. Right. Being there. You guys brought a lot of positive energy into the rest stops. <laughs> Not a lot of positive energy in a rest stop it, before us. It was really hard, though, to get people to let us into the... We went to food banks. Um, we went to like two soup kitchens, but we went to a bunch of food banks because of the brand Find Drunk Kitchen. People push back against that so hard. They're like, you going to come here and get drunk? Yep. Yeah, they're like, so what do you, would this my drunk kitchen girl? And like, we have the support of some major charitable organizations helping us put in, get in touch with good people. Mm. Um, but I can't actually say their names or be like front facing about their support because they as a public entity also can't be affiliated with my drunk kitchen. But I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. I get it. You know? Right. Yeah. So the work is still getting done. What did, I was going to ask, so how was Maggie? What's the update there? She's great. She's 16, sassy, has a great Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> she got, she's a feminist. She's great. Maggie's great. She's, uh, she's lovely. Yeah, she's just definitely 16. Sassy pants. And what about your mom? Do you keep in touch? What happened there? Yeah, uh, she was homeless for a while, but then I was able to uh, support her. So I support her now. I just... She's got a place that she stays at, and I try and see her when I can. Hmm. Yeah. And then you, so going back to college, you went to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you made a decision that my life is going to continue on this trajectory. Yeah. I mean, I really just like, I guess, I, honestly, before all this YouTube stuff, my number one focus was just job security, money, mm-hmm. just trying to figure out how to like do it. So Not what were you thinking? Up, yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking in terms of major and things like that? Well, so I studied, I went in for communications, like, you know, I was like, perfect, marketing, business, something like that. And then I ended up doing literature because I felt like if you go after a pure business degree or a pure marketing degree, you're not gaining anything to bring to the table. So it seemed like literature or philosophy or history, like you're actually learning things that you can put in your brain to like make different connections to create things, you know? Um, so I studied literature and then I was like, well, that's not going to be enough. I should study an Asian language because Asian languages are big and also being an interpreter, being a translator, that's something that's not going to really disappear. So I studied Japanese, was able to like go to Japan. Like I have been super blessed, like super, super duper blessed. All right, drop some Japanese science on us, Jap- meaning science. language. Uh, drop the science. That's a rap terminology for like speak something awesome. Mizuo nondeimasu. Mm. I'm drinking water. Ah. Ah, so this And it tastes good. Uh, Is that what you just said? Yeah. I was translating. It's Say something else. Ajiba It tastes good. Oh. Yeah. Yep. And what you, else? Can you compliment me? It's my party me? trick. Uh, I, I said, you're like super cool, I think. No, you said my nipples were hard. They're not. <laughs> I saw you looking down there. I was giving you, you, I was giving you a once over. <laughs> you were looking at my nipples. I was trying to find the nips. <laughs> you, look, you know those Japanese people. Looking for damn oh, nips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So you became. Oh, wow. well, so you you mastered the Japanese language. I and did, did not. What? I, I couldn't say master. I mean, like it's. It just a, sounded like. Yeah, it sounded pretty awesome. I to can me. like I, right now. I'm like conversational at best. You know. Is there like there is there a little Tokyo here in town? There is not. Is there? Mm-hmm, the, there is a little Tokyo. It's very little. It's like a mall. <laughs> okay, so you yeah. don't like go there and like, hey, I got to practice, y'all. No, not really. Because in it's Japanese, like, of course. My job is to be a YouTuber now. You know. Give us right. G- give us the. You transition. want me to speak in YouTube? Subscribe to my channel, youtube.com slash <laughs> So how did you go from from studying and then becoming a translator mm. um, to, to being a YouTuber? I was living in New York. Um, I had moved from San Francisco to New York uh, for the company I was working for. I was doing proofreading at that company, which is like white-collar mining. You know, it's like I would have one patent document here and one patent document here. This is English. This is the other language. And just have to kind of go through looking for errors, making sure every sentence was in. I mean, like, and it would even be for languages I didn't speak, like German. Just, like, making sure it says, like, slot A into slot B. A into B. Or whatever. That's Japanese. That's, yeah, that's Japanese. That was German. No, that was German. That's the German. Oh. Um, then uh, my older sister Naomi bought me um, that laptop, uh, the MacBook. It was a white, whatever the generation, the first like white MacBook with a webcam. Like, and she, now, now we're in story territory. This is the one everyone gets you to tell. Yep, this I'm is sure. It. This is it. But I've got to hear it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. indulge us for sure. For sure. Give us the white MacBook from my sister's story. Uh, yep, my sister bought but me give this. Give us the juicy details that you don't give to like the journalists. That's right. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so I was at her apartment cat sitting, and then I was video chatting with a friend back home because it was so cool to have video chat. The year was 2011. And uh, I don't know. I used to, you know, my friend missed me. I was like, I miss when you would like get drunk and cook, man. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I'll do that for you right now. And she was like feeling low. So then I was like, I'll make you a video. So I made her my drunk kitchen. So and you, you you ended the iChat, and then you said, Yeah, I said, hold gonna- on. So I like ended it, put up iMovie, hit like import from camera, um, and then just recorded like 20 minutes or 25 minutes. I'm a lightweight. I'm like a two drink drunk, three drink drunks to this day. Um, and then chopped it up on iMovie and then put it up on YouTube and then sent it to Hannah Gilb, which is her name. And then- You put it on YouTube, mm-hmm. public, but- why would anyone see it? Who cares? What's so you, YouTube? You legitimately used YouTube for what I think it was intended for. Intended for, yeah. It was, hey, I've got a video and I want you to see it. Yep. And this is how I'm going to do it. Yep, exactly. So, like, I, uh, so I did that and I sent it to her and, she, you know, put it up on Facebook and all of her friends and all my friends, everybody's like, this is so funny. Share, share, share. I mean, it wasn't even that big of a quote unquote viral video. Like, it was like, it like maybe got to like, a couple hundred thousand or like 700,000. I actually don't have any idea. Um, but I noticed like people were commenting. I was like, where's episode two? This is my new favorite show on YouTube. Where's episode two? Right. And I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> so then I went into the, like the YouTube K-hole. and was like- So you were not- you were not a YouTube consumer. Is that what you're saying? You didn't watch other YouTubers and I aspire no- to be that. It, YouTube was not that to you. The first time I heard of Epic Mealtime was in the comments of that video. Okay. Somebody's like, this bitch is ripping off Epic Mealtime. <laughs> and I was like, Epic what, what? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. 
They wanted episode two, and then your response was? Like three weeks later on a random day, I put up another one, and then a month after. I mean, I, I have no idea the periods of time in between. Certainly wasn't on a schedule. Certainly didn't. But if we go back on your channel, My Harto. Yeah. It's all there. It's all there. And sort by date. The first one is the first one. Yeah, but I've changed the title, added, okay. like, you know, annotations like stay tubed and like subscribe and like all that stuff now. Mm, mm. And it was originally called My Drunk Kitchen, but now it's called My Drunk Kitchen episode one butter your right yes so you did two more i did yeah two and then three was supposed to be the last one and then i just don't know what compelled i just didn't stop i don't know it just was fun it was like such an outlet and then yeah and then you know it's like money starts coming in because you're advertising and then Mm -hmm. so i quit my translation job and not because i was so lucrative obviously not but then i just got rid of my apartment, cut all my expenses, and couch surfed so I could just use all my money for the things I needed to put it towards. Um, and then I just lived on couches for a while until I moved to L.A. Which was when? January 2012. Okay. Crazy. Crazy. Wow, Chain, so we're, yeah. com- we're coming up on two years. Yeah. Here. Yeah, I just passed two years. March 2013 was the second year. Oh. Yeah. And the videos have, like, super improved. I now ha- I just shot a video recently with two cameras rolling. <laughs> Here in our yes, studio, you did. Yeah, yes. yep, yep. putting Halloween paint on your face, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and okay. it turned out pretty well. I think it did. I think my, it did. My side of the face was excellent. I just really liked. I don't know. It was more than I was so pleased. You know, I feel like we should revisit the graffiti thing. Maybe. Oh, we could do that. <laughs> now, all right. So let's get into this. Your sexuality is a big part of your brand. <laughs> yeah, you, like talking about nipples. <laughs> you are talking a, about homos. <laughs> you are a heterosexual. <laughs> no, Link, I'm sorry. Am I getting the terminology wrong? <laughs> I prefer the term girl kisser. Okay. okay. All right. Girl yeah. kisser. I've heard yeah. that. I've seen that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Do you sell that t-shirt? I should. You so, should think about it. I know. So does, you, you, does, does District Clyde still sell things? <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> okay, so there was a point at which uh, you decided to be open about your sexuality on your channel. And yeah. uh, I, wa- I don't remember all the details of those videos, but I did watch those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember people you s- really got attached to the coming out chapter one video. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. it was you, you were so, there were some chapters in, mm-hmm. in this. I still post chapters when marriage passed. I put po- coming out chapter five marriage, and I was like, marriage is about partnership. It's about trust. And I just talked about my personal beliefs in marriage. And so I remember w- one of the things uh, I may be mis- I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. but it was you said something to the effect of, you know, I never really felt the need to come out, and this isn't some big deal that I feel like I needed to come out and like confess to you guys that I'm a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was more like, I kind of feel like maybe I have a responsibility to do that. So I'll, I'll, I'll do it. You know, maybe it'll. Yeah. You remember when Anderson Cooper came out and yes. everybody like, it was, it's weird. I think be- it was on episode two of the mole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he hosted that, right? No way. Really? The reality yeah. show competition show, the mole. He was the host of that. Really? I love that was that his show. first big gig. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. He came out. I gotta then, go back and look that up. But no one remembers it. His yeah. hair was black at the time. That was, no, <laughs> that, that was. Are you? Is this all true? No, his, oh. everything he, except no, everything he, except his hair being yeah. black and him coming out on. on and also, the, the name of the show was not the mole as a whole. <laughs> 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 no, so um, so yeah, as you remember when Anderson Cooper came out, uh, you know, he was just like, guys, it's not like I was hiding it. It's just not like my job isn't to be like gay news guy it's just news guy you know what I mean and so like that's kind of the way I feel about it you know sexuality in general Um, it's changing a little bit as I feel more and more responsible for the LGBT community because it's like because I happen to be gay 
I am inherently a role model since role models are so few and far between because they're so not so. So it's like out and like pride and stuff like that. But like in terms of my personality, I've never felt like. I mean, since coming to the crippling realization that I was gay, which was awful, by the way. Well, yeah, I I want to go into totally that. don't want to be gay. <laughs> I almost want to f- f- put a thumbtack here, mm-hmm. not a pin. And, yeah, and is it supposed a, to be a pin? It could be a push a push pin. pin. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. put a push a, pin. An unfurled paperclip. Can you give us the whole backstory? Just, I mean, in any way you want to, oh, just yeah. in terms of the the sexual backstory. Sexual. Because I I oh, do think that conclusion is my first album. <laughs> you know, I I am very interested about you you coming to grips with being a role model and being someone but who. First, let's hear it. Let's hear the story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I was in college, sophomore year of college, and I was in Japanese class and. This girl behind me, uh, you know, was just like complimenting my jacket. And I was like, oh, yeah, thanks. And then we became like best friends. She was straight or, you know, is straight. She's mm-hmm. married, has a baby now. Um, and I just realized like three weeks in, I was like, oh, my God. Like I have like a crush on this girl. Mm-hmm. And like given also, by the way, like I had boyfriends in high school. I always just attributed you know, due to the circumstances of my life, I was like, I must really not be able to fall in love with people. Maybe that's like a weird emotional mm-hmm. thing. I've got like a block. I must not be able to fall in love because I've never fallen in love. And like, I don't really like any of my boyfriends. I mean, they're great friends and they're really attractive guys. Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I was so, 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 so confused. And obviously homosexuality was not accepted in either of my households, either mm-hmm. of them, you know, uh, not even a little bit. My dad's grand, my dad's dad, my grandpa is gay. Or was gay. And so I think that's another big thing that was like super, like a big deal for my dad. He, did you always know that? Or he, did no, you find we that found out, out later? Like when we, I was like nine and then okay. it was like a big deal. But it was like he had like two wives and like six kids or five kids. And he really, you know, tried to do it. And then just finally he was like 65 and he's like, guys, I'm gay. I'm sorry. I'm just gay. I'm sorry. I had two wives at I once. Two, I know. I yeah. tried twice. I tried so hard, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, I just always thought that I just couldn't fall in love, that sort of thing. And I actually remember spring of my freshman year. No. Yeah. Fall of my sophomore year praying like, you know, and I would go to like Christian campus events and I was just, and I, I remember praying, be like, let me fall in love. Like, let me find somebody to fall in love with and like have that experience and like feel love. And then sophomore year, spring, so fall, I, you know, prayed for that and wanted to fall in love. And then sophomore year, the first class, first day of the first semester, you know, in the spring, I, uh, I met the girl mm-hmm. and then I, the girl that complimented the jacket. The jacket. Yeah. And then, you know, we became like super, super close friends. And then, you know, at that point I had gay friends for the first time in my life. And they're like, you talk about this girl like constantly. And it was always kind of a joke. Like I'd always joke around. I'm like, yeah, I'm secretly gay. Ha ha ha. Which is not uncommon for a lot of people who end up being gay. Um, so anyway, long story short, I was kind of like, maybe I have a crush on her. You know what? I'm going to nip this in the bud. I'm just going to tell her. And then she's going to be like, ew, gross, get away from me forever, and I will never have to think this thought or have this feeling ever again. I told her, and she was like, oh, my God, I think I have a crush on you. This is crazy. Hmm. So we went to a party, and that night we made out. And I just remember thinking, like, when we were, like, making out, I remember being like, wow, this is so easy. And (laughs) I'm gay. 
Yeah, but it, you know, honestly, I had in my entire first relationship fell in love with the first time. Whole thing, whole thing. Got my heart broken. Went back to dating guys immediately after because I was like, well, I'm not gay. It was just that one girl. I'm not gay. I'm not gay. I'm not gay. It was a fluke. There's no way I'm gay. There's no way I'm gay. W- what was going through your mind that Maybe. led to the denial I really, really, really wanted a shot at a happy life. And I had been raised to believe that if I was gay, I could never have a happy, normal, healthy life. So it's like the last thing I wanted coming through what I'd gone through. In terms of. Was that. Mm -hmm. You couldn't lead a normal life, a happy life in terms of discrimination, in terms of ostracism. Not even that. Or in terms of what God thought of you. It's like, it's all of it. I mean, it's, you know, mainly just that, like, when you're raised in a homophobic household, you're really raised to believe that gay people are, like, this other thing. And so I'm like, well, I can't be gay because I'm not an other thing. I'm I me. I'm still 100% me. It's just, you know? And so, like, to have that thought, I just didn't want it to be true because I felt like if I was gay, it would somehow change who I am. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, you know, years of self-reflection and coming out to very small groups and all that stuff, like, it's it's not true. And that's the thing I kind of advocate the most to kids who live all across the country, meeting these kids. I'm like, you don't have to be the biggest flaming homo in the whole world and still feel romantic love for the person you feel love for, you know? And I think that, like, it also got preached to me in a very, like, sexual way. Like, it was about sex. It's about mm-hmm. sex, which is, of course, affiliated with sin and yada, 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 yada. But it's super not. It's about love. I mean, you guys know what romantic love feels like. It doesn't feel like platonic love. Mm-hmm. It's a different feeling. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. People seem to ignore that. Like, sex is just sex, you know? I mean, it's great. But, you know, it's not love. I mean, so, I mean, you were wrestling with all this. You were trying— you had the girlfriend, and then you go back. Then you go back to dating guys. Mm-hmm. You had enough. She was officially your girlfriend. So amongst your group of friends, only you, need to know basis. Okay. Very, very not out at all. Even a little bit wasn't public. So then uh, you go back, to, uh, date a couple of other guys. Do- <sighs> didn't work. Doesn't I mean, work. Yeah, once you've like fallen in love for the first time, like you know, like I just was like, I'm like, it was just so bad, and you know, I really tried. Now, at this, at this time, when you're struggling through this stuff, your relationship with your mom and dad, respectively, is – these are not real functional relationships. It's not like – Well, she the, was emancipated. You're emancipated mm-hmm. from, from your yeah, mom. Yeah, they're still in contact. I mean, like, you know, she was like my kid, you know. But it's, but it's not this thing that – is it this, okay, there's something that has sort of been ingrained in you personally that you're kind of struggling with, or is there this – like, well, I don't want to have to tell my parents about this. It doesn't seem like the parents thing would be that big of a deal because now you're nah, it's still it, like beyond even, that. You know, the I think that the the sad truth is that regardless of how your parents were able to or were not able to take care of you, there is something inherent that makes you want your parents' love and approval. Regardless You want to please them. You yeah, a hundred percent. Um uh, you know, obviously my mom wasn't able to really comprehend it. It, it was negative, we don't talk about it. Um, and my dad, you know, I told him when I was like 23 or, you know, just randomly, I was like, not randomly, but I was like, Hey, I just wanted to like give you a heads up. Not even that. It was more like, I'm going to tell you this now, you know, mm-hmm, cause we mm-hmm. don't, we really don't have a relationship. It was just like, I felt like I should. Yeah. It's more for me, I guess, you know? 
And then uh, one of the things that he said was, uh, "How you just, just what did you say? You were just like, bam." Well, I immediately burst into tears just because I just felt and something. And again, it's really not about. It's just like what they represent. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and it was really, really hard. And then it was interesting though because you know. He used the word choice, which a lot of people use. He's like, if you're going to choose to do this. And I was like, dad, like, your dad's gay. Like, it's not my choice who I fall in love with. And he said, it is your choice. choice." And he said, it is your choice whether or not to fall in love. So that's the sin. Even if you're a homosexual. It's like, cool, you're gay. It's in you. It's genetic. I get it. I accept that. Don't ever act on it. Don't ever fall in love with somebody. Just be single because that will make God happier. Hmm. That's the choice in his mind. And I was like, that's up. <laughs> I mean, but you even that had to have been crushing on some level. I mean, you Obviously, you expected it, but to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I it's just kind of like, you know, it was, but at that point, like, I mean, our relationship is so not a factor in my life that at that point, it was almost kind of a relief to hear him say something so ignorant mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was like, Wow, that doesn't even hurt. Like you could package his stance in his own words, yeah. and then say it felt like watching any senator talk about how mm-hmm. gay people don't deserve rights. You're just like, wow, you're one of those, you're one of those bad people. <laughs> so backing up just a little bit, so you 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 date the guys, and then what what kind of when did it become just totally clear in your mind? Now, and the girl, your first girlfriend, yeah. you said that she's not gay. I don't know. I mean, like, it's hard. Like, I I can't label anybody, but she definitely, you know, went back to the life that she felt more comfortable in. You know, I mean, it's it's like, it's unfortunately such a huge deal. But like, microscopically, like, sitting on the couch arguing about dishes, making dinner, falling asleep, doing chores, like, life level, Mm -hmm. real life level, not a deal at all. But the way, I mean, some people, like, you get you get looked at on the street. Like, all that other stuff really bleeds into some people's hearts, the way they're perceived. And for me, I've never really been worried about the outside world. I'm like, outside world? I get it. I have always just really wanted the happy inside world. Like, coming home and, like, having somebody be there being like, hey, you know, I made dinner, um, FYI. Also, I did the laundry. It's like, that's all I've ever wanted my whole life. You know what I mean? Makes everything worth it. But for some people who grew up with that, I think that having the, you know, paranoia of like, do you think the waitress is being rude to us because we're here together? Mm. That so, stuff, some people just can't get past. So how did you find that inner voice after going back to boyfriends? You were oh, still did, in the fighting phase at this point. Um, You know, just lots of like laying awake at night, feeling frustrated. You know, I would play all these games with myself, would be like walking down the street and see a guy and see a girl who I would, you know, be like, okay, let's say they're about regular attractive or just see a random guy and see a random girl. I'm like, quick, like, who do you want to have sex with? <laughs> you know, and like trying to force an answer to that. And it's like, well, I don't want to have sex with either of these people. They're strangers. Like, why would I want to have sex Which, with Which, by the way, we should develop that game show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, quick. Right. Who, who do you want to have, have sex, sex with? with? <laughs> right. But like people and do all- the doors closed. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. too late. I don't get to have sex at all. <laughs> no. Well, there's a new like guys br- are hey. diving under a door, getting. Yep. Not kidding. There's a new show in England called The Sex Box, where people go into a box, have sex, and then they come out and they're interviewed by a panel of sex experts. Sex experts? Yeah. Shut up. I'm not making this up. God, they stole to... our idea before we. But had I think it. who you want to have sex with is a better idea. Just we... between the three yeah. of us or here, or sex bots. 
it's an app now instead of six bucks. Six bots. <laughs> oh, are we brainstorming now? I don't know. Let's you know, just go I... back to your story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I'd like to do all these mind games with a, which a lot of people struggling with their identity, sexuality, yada yada. Do to try and like trick yourself into an answer, trick yourself out of being gay, blah blah blah, and just this emotional maturity. It just comes with time. It comes with like life, and uh, you know, I would get drunk at a party and end up accidentally making out with some girl, or like I'd be at a party and I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm here with this guy who I like. I'm just gonna sit and talk to this girl on this couch for like the whole time, and then like he and I would leave the party and like go make out in his car, and I would just be like, she was so great, Hannah, shut up, you're making out with this guy in the car, like focus, focus, you know, get back to the center. <laughs> so eventually, you just get tired of it, and you just you know start to do the personal work to kind of undo the knots. What was that moment for you that eventually I'm now tired of this? I can't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint it. Was but, it in college? Yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. And it's hard to say. It's a it's a real amorphous journey now looking back at it. You know, there was no other moment. The significant moments I remember were kissing her for the first time, going back to dating guys and feeling like that wasn't working. And then just kind of step by step by step, just, you know, one day at a time kind of accepting it, you know? Sometimes I would tell people, oh, yeah, I'm gay. <laughs> if it's a stranger, I was never going to see again. Well, I'm gay. Well, just like play with it, see how it felt. Okay, so there wasn't this like, okay, now is when I'm going to come out of the closet and just publicly identify myself. It's like, I'm going to try it on this person and see, what, see how they react. Yeah, I mean, there's, a lot, there's plenty of people who I never, ever, ever, ever told. And if they watch YouTube or listen to Ear Biscuits, then now they know. <laughs> oh, they do. Oh, they do. They probably found that on YouTube before Ear Biscuits. Just... I don't know. Ear Biscuits is like a really big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so was there a lot of chatter in the comments of your videos before you did you before you made a definitive uh, announcement non I'm not honestly like non-factor comedy is not about gay or straight it's just about comedy but people in comments have a w- have a way of doing that I, I mean on, like on in my more, first video channels in my first video people are like she looks like Justin Bieber does she have but like you know it's always like does she have a boyfriend does she have a girlfriend she's hot she's not hot Ugh. it's all the same stuff yeah you uh-huh. know um so yeah, and then the coming out video, there was just a lot of, like, I had no idea. And I was like, really? But then I'm like, well, who's to say? <laughs> you know, like, I hipsters look gay, kind of. That's terrible. I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I feel bad, though, when people talk to me about their coming out stories. I feel responsible, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I, it's awful. <laughs> you know, I get letters from kids all the time being like, you know, I live in Alabama. I live in Nebraska. I will never, ever tell anybody. I met a 30-year-old woman who uh, recently, heterosexual, came out six weeks ago, married, whole thing. And I was like, wow. And then my instinct— yeah, how did you—you you met her in person? Yeah, just me a fan. You bump into people, you know? Okay. My instinct is still, because of the way I was raised, are you sure? Because <laughs> maybe you're not. I mean, like, do you really want to do this? Is, uh, how does your family interact? You know? But, yeah, now I'm a role model for it. So, and I and I think this you know, it's interesting because there's there's obviously uh, gay celebrities who people uh, the gay community may look at as we want you to speak on our behalf or, uh, but it's so different. You know, take gay out for a second and just talk about the difference between a traditional celebrity and then a YouTube celebrity. There's obvious a obviously a much stronger connection between your fan base. Totally, you know. 
uh, a traditional celebrity isn't sitting around and reading their fan mail and feeling responsible for something. Yeah. Uh, but we know, you know, being in this position, it's just like you, your your friend, your fans are your friends, and there's a there's a. I've been describing you, them lately as kind of your boss. Right. Yeah. And there's you know a sense I mean? there's a sense of obligation because your you're performance you're, review. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and then you throw in the fact that okay, well now you are in some senses a gay icon, and and so now you got people. Con- how, how are you dealing with that? I mean, people are confessing things to you. People are what asking happens? you questions. I mean, yeah, what 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 is it like? You say you you're interacting with people. They confess you, their struggles with you. They write you letters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has to get heavy. It does. Yeah, and I think that like honestly, when I'm talking with them or reacting, you know, I really try and like, I guess, choose faith instead of fear. Like, be try and be like the brave version of me, and not let like my own, you know, fear compromise that and just be like if if they can see me as someone who's like brave and confident and comfortable and unabashed and all that good stuff then like and that's the person that they look up to like then I am then there must be some truth in that like that is that part of me regardless of like the internal whirlwind of me being like oh my god oh my god oh my god but it's getting easier I mean when it first started oh my god what I mean what is that internal whirlwind it's just basically like I just don't want anybody to like suffer but it's like you have to choose your suffering right what are you gonna do just be in the closet your whole life and be like semi-miserable or are you going to go through that really kind of brutal kind of reaching for something richer but I think that's all life it's like do you choose comfort and stability or are you going to pursue your like deeper truth like and that's a choice people make now do you do you think that do you respond individually to people uh, or do you take into account the things that people are saying to you personally and then let it change your content? Because you're kind of speaking to everyone at the same time. It's like, well, I keep, if people keep asking me about this, maybe I should make a video to answer this question collectively, or I'm going to respond to this person. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, it, you know, it varies. You guys know. It's not it's like there's no, like, direct set, always 100% system. Sometimes a comment will hit home, and you're like, I'm going to talk about this. Sometimes you'll notice a trend, and you're like, I'm going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it's really just case by case. But I would imagine you're hearing horror stories of people growing up in the closet mm. and not knowing, kids not knowing what to do with themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting those type of letters, right? Mm-hmm. I guess I kind of feel like, something good that's, you know, I'm getting those type of letters for a reason. And maybe that reason is I can show them, like, a happy life, you know? So it's like, I don't want, A, I don't want to get too preachy. B, it is only a portion of the audience. And C, they've sent me that letter because of something already. You know what I mean? So it's like, maybe the beat way of being a role model is to continue to do things the way I do them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, yeah, I mean, there are videos that, there's like a list of videos that I really want to do. Um, but it's, you know, it's like heavier stuff and it's, you know, it's, you know, the ones like the smaller videos that are more serious are always the ones you take more to heart. You know what I mean? And like, once you put stuff like that out there, it's out there, you know, and it almost is like, while you keep it close, while you play it, play it close, you're like, well, maybe someday. And then once you put it out there, you're like, oh, I guess that really wasn't as big a deal as I thought, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) What type of things you, I mean, obviously you're not. You you're not you haven't made those videos yet, mm-hmm. but what type of questions? Maybe don't give us your answer as much as what are the questions? I mean, like these teens, like we represent like a strong teen audience, right? And like, like 
I don't know if it's, I, I think that there's a real problem with like, I mean, frankly, I really want to do a video about self-harm. Like kind of just talking about it, like taking away, like undemonizing it and just like speaking directly. I mean, like here are things you can do to like maybe help yourself out, you know? I had a girl show me like her cuts on her arm mm -hmm. and she told me, she was like, you help me stop doing this. And her mom was with her and her mom was crying. She's oh, like, wow. just, she was like, you help me stop doing this, you know, stop doing this. Um, so thank you. So do you, uh, and we'll, we'll wrap up here in a second, but I, I think that, you know, you've got this responsibility. You've got people asking you these questions. Do, do you think it, at some point it changed from I'm an entertainer to like, okay, now I'm, I'm responsible? You know, because I think, you know, it's interesting because I think because of who you are and the nature of your content and, and the fact that you, you, you have talked about your sexuality in videos. It's it's significantly different than just two comedians who are making a bunch of funny videos. Where we we think about the next video or we think about the next project, we're like, what thing are we mm -hmm. going to create that's that's going to entertain? Not that we don't feel a sense of responsibility to yeah. our audience and that kind of thing. But it seems that there's a, there's a little bit more of a it's a little a little weightier with you. Does that affect like what you're going to work on next? I think it kind of honestly like the comedy stuff is like obviously more popular and it's great and it's comedy and so it's it's wonderful to be an entertainer. And, you know, I know Grace gets a lot of intense stuff sent her way too, but Grace is a performer. She's an entertainer. She's a comedian. She studied it. She wanted to do it her whole life. Like that's her thing. I think that because I never pursued entertainment, the fact that there's some resonance that can be more worthwhile in a different way, like because comedy is worthwhile, but worthwhile in a different way, mm -hmm makes it more rewarding for me personally because i mean i love making people laugh but i also want to make things better too in whatever way i can <laughs> um i think for you know just to wrap up i in the, at the risk of kind of taking a he's gonna a say step, nipples a step backwards <laughs> i'm going to say nipples one more time <laughs> no i i think Maybe just this is re-asking a question and retreading some ground, but people who would say, there's certain people who may listen to our conversation here and they'll say, you know that Hannah, I see, you know, she had a screwed up past that's and why that's she's why gay? she's gay. Yeah, I know. It's so, and like, look, you're not gonna, like, um, <laughs> okay. But you know who else is gay? People that come from quote unquote perfect households. You know who else is gay? Black people, white people, ancient people, you know, penguins, dolphins, like, I get it, but like there are people that it's 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 I get I get really frustrated when people bring that up because it's a so obvious, b so irrelevant because there's so much more evidence saying the opposite. But people are like, I figured you out. Huh. You came from a broken home, and that's why you're you feel the need to be homosexual. And it's like you know a lot of people come from broken homes, and a lot of people come from healthy homes, and a lot of people are gay, and a lot of people are straight. It's I just, you know, it's just frustrating. Well, Hannah, um, I will say this. I am very glad that you wiped all of the <laughs> makeup that we put on your face off before we had this conversation. Oh, my God. It would have taken a different tack. <laughs> it really would have. I would have been, oh, my God. You know what? It's so funny. 
I've just, uh, I totally forgot. I could have you would have forgotten fa- that it's still on, but have, we would have been looking at it. I would have been sitting here like touching, oh my I'm God. I'm talking to half Beetlejuice, half Wolfman. <laughs> okay, Anna, we need you to sign the table. Right, grab the Sharpie. Where is that, brother? Uh-oh. Um, does but, anybody have any makeup left over? We got oh, to use I, the I Sharpie. Can, I, can find it. I can find a Sharpie. Half Chiefs fan, half Cardinals fan. <laughs> but seriously, thanks so much for sharing as much as you did and for allowing us to have this conversation. Yeah, and this... Uh, this we, I feel honored you're very sweet. Um, also, uh, I will be editing this episode of uh, Ear Biscuits. <laughs> no, I mean, no edit. They're, look- they're looking at me so seriously right now. You guys can't even tell. Um, no, absolutely. It's... No, we're thinking she does know that there's no editing at all, right? Uh, yeah, no, my pleasure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a podcast. It just goes. And that was our conversation with Hannah Hart. I want to thank Hannah for coming and being real with an ear biscuit at the table of dim lighting. She she opened up, told us a real story. Yeah, maybe, I maybe just some felt, details that you haven't heard before. I felt like it was a, a privilege that she decided to to share to that extent and we were able to gain an, gain an understanding of who she is and where she came from and the things that she had to deal with with her parents and everything. You know, I think that kind of unpacking her mom's story was something that uh, maybe at first she didn't know we that we wanted to go there. That was the type of thing we wanted to talk about on the podcast. Once we stopped recording, Hannah told us that she didn't want to seem like she was being evasive and talking about her mom and her mom's illness, that it was just getting a feel for where the podcast was going. But that um, once that was something that, you know, I don't know how, how far to push on things like that, but I'm glad that she was comfortable sharing that part of her life and having to deal with her mom's illness and continuing to deal with it to this day. So mm-hmm. the fact that uh, she was comfortable sharing that too is, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I love this show. I love doing this. I'm not, I, I feel like we've crafted this type of conversation for us. This is, these are the type of conversations that we want to have with people, but I'm glad that you out there in the listening world of the internet enjoy it. Yeah. yeah Cause I, I would say that the way I would characterize this show so far is this, I think it's a pretty selfish endeavor, honestly, because typically what we do is we just try to entertain people. I mean, you know, not that we aren't, when we do Good Mythical Morning, when we do another uh, video that we aren't sitting down and trying to unpack something, or, but it, it's almost always for purely for entertainment purposes. And with very little idea as to where this whole thing was going to go and what ear, I mean, first of all, we called it ear biscuits. We didn't really know what it was going to be. We're like, let's just sit down and talk to some people that, we know from the internet, maybe some people that we don't know from the internet and uh, ask them the questions that we actually legitimately have for them and just have an interesting conversation without trying to be entertaining or trying to be funny. But I have to say, when I when I go back and I listen to these, I'm, it's hitting me. I'm like, I, I, I am being entertained by this. I am enjoying these conversations because these people that we're talking to are interesting, you know? They've got, everyone has this story, and when you begin to put the story together with a person that you know publicly, there's a really you interesting a lot. thing that happens. And, and you know, it's, it's challenging in a lot of ways, and uh, you know, uh, I think that happened some tonight. So thanks to those of you who are listening to this on a weekly basis. Those the template you, is set. This yeah. is what we're going to do. Yeah. Those Every of you week. Who, you're sharing it. You're letting people know about it. We obviously appreciate that. And, uh, and we see the comments on... Uh, Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud. We see all those comments and we appreciate the feedback. Thanks for watching with your ears.
We'll see you next week.